Welcome and thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. I'm Michal Mahuna. Check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Health Zone or log on to our website on www.thehealthzoneshow.com. If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the Hellstone Show delivered to your inbox every week, and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show, or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Today I'm talking with Master Integrative Life Coach and CEO and Program Leader of the Ford Institute for Transformational Training, Kelly Casso. Hello Kelly, how are you? I am great, how are you? Very good. So tell me Kelly, who are you and what do you do? I was a lawyer and then I had my own business and as a result of that business, uh, which was called Go Goddess and we were doing games and seminars with women, I decided that just because I was a good girlfriend did not make me, um, you know, did not qualify me for holding a room at people. So at that time, life coaching was just coming into vogue and I looked around and I asked around what was the best life coaching training and everyone told me about the Ford Institute and the work of Debbie Ford and so I got certified as a life coach from Debbie and then I went on and did some other trainings and then at one point after I sold this other business I started just coaching full-time and Debbie invited me to come on staff to teach other people what I was doing and everything just kind of went after that I started doing more trainings and writing the courses. And then Debbie, unfortunately, had cancer. And as she got weaker, she needed support in leading her workshop. So she was training me. And, um, you know, I had the benefit of having one of the greatest mentors in the world. And awesome. now I lead all the workshops and write the courses. And with two other women, we are carrying on this amazing work based on the body of work by Debbie Ford. Was there something that prompted you to get into this type of work? I think it's like so many things in life. You're not quite, you're not sure in the moment why you're doing something in retrospect, it all makes sense and all the pieces fall together. So ultimately, you know, what I thought I was doing this work to help hold other people, of course, it was what I needed in my life. At the time, I was in a marriage that was not happy, and I was probably living a very, what I would call, outer referred life, you know, thinking the next accomplishment, the next this, the next that would make me happy, yet never quite feeling that, you know, sense of satisfaction, always that wanting of something more, I would say. And so I think that's really what resonated with me in this work. All of a sudden, this work, it just shifted the way I looked at myself, my life, the world. It gave me the courage to speak my truth. It gave me the courage to step out of a marriage that wasn't working and into a life that I would never have dreamed it was possible. Can you tell me a little bit more about that journey, Kelly? Well, at the time, you know, I was raised, you know, I was the ultimate overachiever, dutiful daughter, always trying to do the right thing, you know, 
get great grades in school, went to law school, you know, went to an Ivy League college, went to law school, always the, the ultimate doer. But I was always trying to be, you know, certain things. I was trying to be smart. I was trying to be charismatic, trying to be talented, trying to be good enough, trying to be perfect. And, you know, I didn't, I just wasn't raised in any conversation of transformation. When I got to, although I did lots of spiritual things and had all the stack of books beside my bed, they just hadn't kind of cracked the code for me. And when I got to the work of Debbie Ford, A, I could understand it because she just, she put it in such speak. But it was really about embracing the totality of who you are. And the first words I heard Debbie Ford speak was transformation is a shift in perception. And of course, her work is based on the shadow, which is all the parts of ourselves that we don't want to be, that we disown, that we deem inappropriate, that we try to hide and cover up and create these personas that we're not that. Those are our shadows. And most of us spend so much of our time trying to hide, you know, so much of who we are. Instead of running from ourselves, her work was about running to ourselves and getting our work is based on this concept of wholeness, that we are everything that we see in the outer world. And all of it is there to serve us. You know, I love the quote that God doesn't give us any spare parts. And so all of a sudden, it's about looking for the gifts, the gifts in all of the qualities that are in you, the gift of your emotions and the gift of your past experience so you can integrate them to be the fully expressed person that you are, knowing they all came there to serve your evolution. And Kelly, why do you think we don't actually show people that side of ourselves? Because of shame. Because something happens when we are young that because we're because most of our unconscious mind our unconscious mind is 98 percent more powerful than your conscious mind most of your unconscious mind your your unconscious mind your operating system is formulated under the age of 10. under the age of 10 you don't have the wherewithal to understand things properly so we're all meaning making machines and we start creating those meanings early on. So, you know, if the kid gets laughed at at the playground, what do they make it mean about them? That there's something wrong with me. Or, you know, if you get a, if you stutter in class and your fellow students laugh at you, you make it mean you're stupid. And because you never want to feel the pain of that shame again, you create these personas and you deem parts of yourself as wrong. And so little by little, we're chipping away at who we are. And then we create these personas to show the world that we're something other than that, the opposite. But that's not evolution. That's just putting a Band-Aid on something or a mask on. And so that's why we cover it up, because we think it's out of shame. Was there as part of your own life where you were ashamed to show or reveal to people? I'm sure we all are. I mean, for I was definitely that perfectionist kid. You know, I don't know if I came out of the womb that way. Or actually, I saw my brother, I can tell you, 
I saw my brother used to have some learning challenges and I decided that I would be the smart one. You know, there's always, we're all labeled, you know, that's the funny one. That's the pretty one. That's the smart one. I took on the role. I was going to be the smart one because that's what I thought would make our, my parents proud. So we're always, we take on these roles, these personas, because we're trying to get something from the outer world. So I was trying to get love, attention, not get in trouble. Like I saw my brother. So I made a decision that I was going to be that child the perfect child, the overachiever, the one who got good grades. And so absolutely that drove me because I didn't want to have the experiences that my brother had. And how did you finally overcome them? Well, I only overcame it when I learned, started learning, working with Debbie Ford because I didn't, I had never been taught that, you know, my upbringing was not that. And so when I got to Debbie and that's why, I'm so committed to bringing this world, this work out in the world because it totally gave me liberation. And, you know, so many people are out there in, in the transformational world saying, get rid of your fear, get rid of your anger, get rid of this, get rid of that. It's not about getting rid of anything. You're not going to get rid of anything. You're not going to get rid of your fear. So the only way you can make peace with it is to bring love to something. So it was by bringing love to all these other things, all these qualities and all these emotions inside of me that I used to deem wrong. And until, you know, it's like what you resist persists. So if I didn't want to be that, it was almost like a ball and chain I was dragging around. Once I brought love to it and found the gifts of it and how it served it, it made I made peace with these parts of myself and they no longer had this grip on me. They weren't using me. I could use them. And can you explain to me how you made peace with these parts? By finding the gifts. When you find the gift, you know, take a quality someone doesn't want to be like selfish. If you can see that being selfish is actually a gift because it allows you to set boundaries. It allows you to take self-care. It allows you to say no. So being selfish, if you can find the gifts of any of these qualities, being stupid, you know, it had me try harder. It has me ask questions. It has me learn things and go to different classes and things like that. So when you can find how all of these characteristics have or can serve you, then you can embrace them. And so it's by looking, shifting your perception and looking through the eyes of what's the gift. When you get that the universe is happening for your soul's evolution, it's truly a benevolent universe. And it's there supporting your evolution and growth. And if you know that, going, is that's the perspective you look at life, then anything that happens, you're always asking, what am I supposed to be learning here? What is the gift of this experience? And then I'm the co-creator of my life as, as opposed to being the victim of the life. Oh, poor me. And Debbie, as you know, a lot of people have a tendency to resist this part of themselves. Why is that? Because of shame. Because either we made it wrong or someone else made it wrong. So it could be that, you know, your parents punished you for being irresponsible. You were told to stay after school because you were stupid. 
So somebody, you know, either you made it wrong, you created a negative meaning about it early on, or somebody else made it wrong, your parents, your community, you know, the church, whoever. And so you deemed it unacceptable. You know, it's like people, you know, people don't want to be angry because no one likes a girl with a sour face. You know, things like that. Things that we're told, you know, these little expressions that people say all the time. And as a child, we take them in and make them mean the truth. How do you think these disowned and repressed parts of ourselves can lead to self-sabotage in our lives? Because we don't feel worthy. Because it's like the beach ball. At some point, they're always going to come up, even if we put a mask over it. Because we're putting a Band-Aid over something, that's not growth. That's just putting a Band-Aid over something. If you're truly, if the universe is here to support your growth, at some point, the Band-Aid's going to be ripped off so that you can see the part of yourself that you haven't accepted. Because, you know, we always say that quote, there's no one out there. Everything is happening for your soul's evolution. It's all, every, all we do, you know, everyone is holding the mirror for you. Life is your teacher. So everything that's happening is there to show you you. If we can unconceal the parts of ourselves that we're denying, then we can start working with that quality and saying, you know, how can that serve me? How am I that? And what is the gift of that? And we can start embracing back these qualities and integrating them so we can become more whole. Do you think most people have these shadow issues? Everyone has a shadow. And it's not a bad thing. Shadow work is about bringing light to the parts of ourselves. You know, there's gold in the dark. Shadow work is actually the work of the light worker. Where does this shadow part of ourselves come from? It comes from some experience that happens when we're young and we create some sort of meaning. You know, it, uh, you do something, your, your father leaves and you don't understand that your parents aren't getting along. So what do you make it mean about you? Because we all take things personally. So you make it mean that you're unlovable or you're broken or, you know, we can oftentimes we just... um we take on the shadows of our family. It's like a, a family legacy that we can, you know, people are told there are the haves and the have-nots, and our family is the have-nots. I mean, it, it's just so interesting to see how the shadow is formed. You know, as a mother of three daughters, of course, we're always in this conversation at my house with my, my kids who are now in their 20s. And when I do processes with them and go back and, you know, see where, you know, one of them might have gotten, I don't belong or I don't fit in because that's a, a common shadow belief. I'm always amazed to when she goes back, when they go back and they pinpoint the memory, the event that happened that had them create that meaning. You know, it can be on the playground with, you know, three little girls and, you know, one gets left out, which happens all the time. But that can trigger a meaning, I don't belong. And then that child will go out because the ego likes to be right and shadow beliefs become self-fulfilling prophecies. So she'll keep creating scenarios in her life, you know, these triangles 
where she gets to feel or these situations, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I don't belong. And that's the opera. And truly, at the end of the day, it's the opportunity that the universe is giving her to see that she has this shadow belief that is running her life. So, and if you can bring the unconscious conscious, then you can shift it. And that's what our work is. It's about bringing these unconscious beliefs out of the shadows and into the light so that you can shift it. And do you think this could be one of the reasons why people don't achieve what they want out of their lives? Absolutely. Your shadow beliefs determine how much success, the quality of your relationships, how much love you'll allow yourself to have. And they are directly related to your self-sabotage because on some level, if you believe you're not worthy, you're not deserving enough, you will self-sabotage yourself to prove how unworthy you are. And how could a person do this? By the choices they make. So if I don't believe I'm worthy enough, even if I go and I try to show the world how worthy I am, when it comes to doing something for myself because I have a belief I'm unworthy, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm going to do something that's you know contrary to my goals because at the end of the day, I believe I'm not worthy. So that's one way that the shadow sabotages you. And the other is a lot of times people don't want to even feel the pain. And so we numb out. And so we just self-sabotage because there's so much shame because underneath it all, we all believe that we're not good enough. We all have that incessant internal dialogue in our minds that's constantly saying, you're not this enough, you're not that enough, you're not whatever. And because we want to numb out, we end up self-sabotage. We overspend, we overdrink, we overeat, we work, we, you know, we do all these things to sabotage ourselves because we don't want to be with ourselves. When you do shadow work and you can embrace all of yourself, then you can be with yourself. Then you don't have to numb out. Do you think it's possible for people to change their lives? Absolutely. I see it all the time. We see it in all our courses. I just did a shadow process workshop, which is really one of the cornerstones of our work, this three-day workshop. And it is, I am always in awe of what people... Um, unconceal what they share and then the changes that happen because your outer world is a reflection of your inner world so if you think about that if you're owning only 20% of who you are and the qualities and characteristics and emotions inside of you then if your outer world is a reflection of that then you're only going to be manifesting 20% if you own 50% then it's 50% and if you can be with 90%, then you're going to manifest 90%. So when your inner world changes, your outer world reflects it. And we see it all the time. People's relationships change. They lose weight. They quit the job that they've been unhappy with. We've had people share, you know, they have the conversations with their mother or their children that they've never had. Because all of a sudden they feel comfortable about being seen and speaking their truth and it seems to be one of the hardest things to do in this world is actually speak your truth yeah and to be seen and that's why if you can make peace with yourself you'll allow yourself to be seen 
You don't have to keep editing yourself. We all are editing, editing, editing all the time. We're trying to create this persona of perfection. And it's exhausting. How important is it to have a vision or a goal for your life? Well, the vision, it's, it's important. First of all, the vision and the goal, they inform your choices. So it goes kind of back to, you know, that self-sabotage. If you have a vision and a goal and your choices are in alignment with that vision and goal, you're always keeping that in mind. That's a great barometer for you so that, you know, because those visions and goals are achieved step by step, action step by action step. And so you want to, you know, one of Debbie's great books is this book, The Right Questions. And it's really about, you know, it's about if you ask your, you know, that your life is a reflection of your choices you make. And if you ask yourself the right questions, then they're more apt to support you in making high-level choices. And then the choices that you make are reflected in your life. So the choices you made yesterday, you know, are reflected in what you're experiencing in the present. And the choices that you make today are going to, you know, manifest what your tomorrow is going to be. So it's so if you have a vision and goal... And so these right questions are great in helping you, supporting you to make the right choices to move to your vision and goals. So vision and goals are, are important because they help inform your, your, your choices. It would be like, you know, if I get in my car and start driving, I'm aimless. If I get in my car in New York and decide it, then go, okay, I'm going to California, then I know where to turn. How important do you think it is for goals to be congruent with who we are? I don't really understand that question because I think a lot of us have ego goals because we think who we want to be. So for us, it's about if you can quiet that mind, that monkey mind we all have, you can hear the whispers of your soul. So that's a really complicated, you know, that question to me has a lot of layers because who we it's most of us there's this image of who we think we should be and what we should be achieving and look how many people get to that or they are you know they take that job on wall street or they write that book and then they're like okay i got to that now what so you know it's it's also the difference what we say about shadow work is that when you can you know embrace all of who you are and that's when you can start hearing the whispers of your soul. What I meant by that question, Kelly, is in regard to the goal being in line with our own values rather than someone else's values, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's hugely important. You know, that's personal integrity. And, you know, we've all tried doing things to please others. And that doesn't work or because someone else thinks we should or we think we should be that. But ultimately, you want to get quiet enough so that you can create your own vision and your own goal. And is there a way to know that we're actually creating the goal that we want to achieve and not somebody else's goal? Well, I think you have to do work and you have to start this, you know, really start living of a place from self-referral. So many people are look outside themselves to inform themselves. So our work, you know, our work is about that your answers 
lie within. Unfortunately, most people don't trust themselves because they've stepped over their own integrity so many times. So all our work, we ask a lot of questions. We do processes because we believe we don't, you know, the wonderful thing about Debbie, it wasn't about her becoming this guru. It was about her being this facilitator and really standing in the paradigm that the, your answers lie within you. You're the greatest expert of your life. And so we start, we start the minute we start working with people, bringing them inside so they can build that muscle of trust within themselves. Most people don't trust themselves. That's why, you know, they're constantly asking, you know, what should I wear? Does this look good on me? What do you think? And would our intuition play a part in this process? Yeah, but we have to start trusting that, being able to tune in and trust. It's there. We all have it. It just needs, it's like a muscle. It needs to be exercised. And we need to acknowledge that it is within us. And why do you think some people achieve goals in their lives and say other people don't? Well, there's a lot of self-sabotage. There's a, I mean, it could start for us with shadow beliefs. If you have some shadow belief, that you know you're unworthy or you're not good enough so the shadow could be is a big reason people don't achieve goals and you know other things is and then that you know that also creates self-sabotage it could be that some people are lazy or you know some other things but you know we would always start by looking at the shadow and your shadow beliefs and as you know, Kelly, like procrastination can be a big component of people not achieving their goals as well. And do you have a, a process to change that? Well, we always are looking. See, for us, a goal is we, we do, you know, we do all obviously a lot of different programs and we have coaches that we train who take people one-on-one -on -one through different coaching models. And oftentimes we have coaching models or programs where the person, you know, at the beginning, they identify a goal that they want to achieve. And it's usually like a three-month program. And we use the goal because what happens in your trying to achieve that goal is a mirror of what happens in your trying to achieve any goal. So all the beliefs, all the thoughts, all the patterns, all the excuses, justifications, rationalizations that come up in one goal, that's what impacts all your goals. So for some people, that pattern of procrastination is one of the huge reasons why they don't achieve that goal. So then we look with them about what happened or what is, what's underneath the procrastination. Is it fear of failure? So if they don't try, they don't have to fail. So that's why they procrastinate. You know, is the procrastination from something else? So we, we always try to go under. The procrastination is a pattern. And if there's some pattern of behavior, you want to look at what are you getting from that pattern of behavior, even if it doesn't make sense. Granted, there's a cost of the pattern of behavior, which generally people can easily identify but on some level, they're getting something. They get to stay safe. They get to play small. They, you know, they don't have to put themselves out there. So there's a lot of things people get from these patterns of behavior, even if they're counterintuitive. And that's why they engage in them.
And how important do you think say, having the right attitude in achieving a person's goal? Yes, attitude and being open and willing to be the observer of yourself. You know, to really, if because anyone can have the right attitude and they can be rah-rah for a while or keep something going for, you know, one month, two months, three months. But that could be, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it all. We see it in the news all the time. Someone attains some huge goal and then after that they live a life of self-sabotage. So it's not just having that attitude for the moment. It's about being the observer of yourself and being committed and willing to always keep looking, to keep peeling back the layers of your onion so you can really see what's driving your operating system. And would you have any examples who's gone through that process and changed their life? Our process, we, we see people all the time. All the time. People, they create a goal and they just keep looking at whatever's getting away in the goal. The thoughts, the patterns, the excuses. I mean, when we work with people, it's really about, you know, for me, I live my life on this bar of being unrecognizable. And I'm always looking for that next evolutionary leap. Like, what can I do to be unrecognizable today? And that's, that was one of the concepts Debbie wrote in her last book, Courage. And that's what we see be people becoming unrecognizable, whether it's in a conversation, whether it's in all of a sudden they're training for a marathon, whether it's just how they're being in the world. And how important do you think is it for someone to be authentic? Well, I, I, it's hugely important because authenticity, that the truth shall set you free. So to be authentic is huge. And especially to yourself, you know, who you chair, choose to share your authenticity with. You know, it might be times where you make a high level choice not to share parts of yourself with certain people because you don't, you know, maybe they can't receive you or maybe you don't want to share that part of you with someone, but at least you want to be authentic with yourself. And hopefully there are people and relationships in your life where you can be totally authentic and have that kind of connection. I know fears will be a big component of why people don't be authentic, but is there any other reasons for that? Yeah, I think it's fear and shame. Yeah, I think that's mainly it. But mainly people are, you know, afraid that if you know who you are, you will leave me or you won't love me. And what are your thoughts on forgiveness? Ah, forgiveness is the hallway from the past to the present. So forgiveness, I mean, in every, practically every spiritual book or teacher has a chapter or conversation about forgiveness. And, you know, in our work, forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. Because the amount you can create in your life is, you know, equal to the amount you can forgive. Ultimately, it is all about, you know, it starts with forgiveness of others, but it's really all about self-forgiveness. Because if you're not, if you're still beating yourself up, you're not going to allow yourself on some level or feel deserving enough on some level to go have a great life. So ultimately, you've got to find that self-forgiveness because you hold the lock and the key. And what do you mean by self-forgiveness? 
Well, for us, it's about, it is a gift you give to yourself. So it's cutting the karmic cord. It's about finding the gifts in the past so that you no longer are resenting yourself or others. It's making peace. And do you think it is possible in this lifetime to experience that peace? I think so. I think forgiveness is a process. And, you know, I think most of these steps that where everyone is out there talking about acceptance, forgiveness, I think they're all a process. And I think you can keep doing forgiveness work and, you know, on different people and on yourself. And, you know, little by little, if you're working all your tools and your concepts and if you are really committed to your, you know, spiritual process or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think that you can keep creating. I see it as an opening, you know, like we're all this vessel and the vessel can only, you know, hold so much. So if it's filled with toxicity, then there's not going to be a whole lot of room for the good stuff. But I think, you know, if you think about transformation in some ways is a process of elimination. So if you can keep eliminating and dissolving that toxicity, then there's more and more space. So the more forgiveness, self-forgiveness, the more and more space you make for creation and for self-love. And the more self-love, the more you're going to make high-level choices, which will make you more self-loving and then more high-level choices. So it's exponential. Why do you think we find it so hard to forgive? Because we're so used to beating ourselves up. It's like we're trained in beating ourselves up. I mean, we take, when we do the shadow process, it's this beautiful journey from kind of the dark to the light. And for so many people, it's much easier to own their dark. You know, tell me I'm stupid. Tell me I'm not good enough. I've been telling myself that for years. Tell me I'm brilliant. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm magnificent. Those words are much harder for most people to get out of their mouths. And why do you think we find it so hard to forgive even other people as well? Like say people might make us angry or, or whatnot. Well, because we're getting something out of not forgiving. We get to remain the victim. We don't have to take responsibility for our lives. Maybe we'd have to step up to the plate. We get something out of not forgiving someone. And that's why we keep the ball and chain in place. And most of the time, you wouldn't even know, some people wouldn't even know who they were if they didn't have that grudge. It's like drinking the poison and thinking someone else is going to die. No. And do you think the ego be a factor in all of this? Of course. The ego wants to be right about how awful you were. The ego loves to be right. And, you know, the unhealed ego, let's put it that way, the wounded ego. Or the wounded ego could have fear. You know, if I let you off the hook, then I have to go create my own life. And that can be really scary to have to take that kind of responsibility. Do you think we really have control over our life or is there something else guiding that this life for us? Uh, you know, do I think that there are some situations that are karmic? Yes. I mean, me personally, this, is, this doesn't, you know, we don't really talk about this in shadow for work. Me, Kelly personally does think that there are some things, but I also think that, that we are the co-creators of our life as well. And I also think there's this great divine design. But 
are we going to step in the plate and become a participant in our life? That's there is some choice there. The Paris tax there, right. like what will be your thoughts on this? There are certain things that personally I just deem as awful. Could I find the shadow of it? Yes, I could find the shadow of it, but something that I see is so awful. I don't even want to start looking at the shadow and the shadow of terrorism and all that stuff. It's it's just it's too to me it's just too awful to even speak about it. You know, to not to speak about it, but to try to rationalize it in in my work. You know, sometimes just awful things happen. I would like the reality is a lot of people want to be financially abundant in their lives as well, Kelly. And it's like it's what some people achieve and other people don't. Right. Like do you think the shadow part of a person is blocking this from happening in their lives? Absolutely. Money, there's so much we we always do conversations on the shadow of money, and there are a lot of shadows of money. I mean, think back to all the messages that you get around money. You know, beyond your own. So first of all, there are the messages we get around money. So there's, you know, money is the root of all evil or, you know, things like that that we hear as a child. And then, of course, there's your relationship to money because, you know, money is, an, is it's, you have a relationship with money. And you, you know, money is an, also an energy. So, of course, a lot of your shadows, it comes back to a lack consciousness and an abundant consciousness. If you have this abundance consciousness, then, and you clear out all the, your shadows around money, then that flow of energy can flow freely and abundantly. Yet, if you have stuff blocking that flow or beliefs that are cutting off that flow, then the flow of money is going to be compromised. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that the shadow impacts money, your, your abundance. And honestly, most people do have a lack, consci lack consciousness. What's the way of overcoming that? Well, it's like anything else. You have to unconceal it. So you have to go back and kind of, it's almost like a treasure hunt kind of go back and see what were all the messages that you got around money. What were, you know, what were you taught? What did you see? What did you make it mean? You know, some people, it's about struggle. You know, it's they come from that place of struggle. It's hard to make money. So they have lots of beliefs around money. And then they have lots of beliefs around themselves. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not smart enough. There are the haves and the haves nots. I'm the have not that also impact their relationship to money and the flow of money to and from them. So people need to start unconcealing all these, you know, meanings they have and all these things that are running their operating system and impacting their relationship and their, you know, the amount of money in their life. And as they start unconcealing them, they can start seeing, okay, this is what I made that mean about me when I was, you know, can I shift that meaning? And you can shift your relationship with money. You know, what's the action step I have to, so there's the unconcealing and then it's about taking action. So maybe I have to go take a course here. Maybe I have to put myself on a budget. You know, maybe I have to learn more about money, but there's so, money is a huge one. Do you have a workshop that deals with money or is it kind of all encompassing in your work? Well, some of our, on some programs, we have specific discussions on money. I actually, I think I just taught one on Tuesday night, actually. 
Um, and some proponents or some of our programs, if your goal, if one of your goals might be something around money and then, you know, you're always working on that individually. So, yeah, I mean, you know, money finances, it's a, it's a huge factor for most people. So that's always in the conversation, of course. Would you have any tips or guidelines for our listeners on how they could like transform or change their lives in a more impactful way? Well, first they should come to the shadow process and go to the FordInstitute.com to find out about the shadow process. But I think it's about being willing and really finding the conversation that resonates with you. Because change is possible. Absolutely. You know, suffering is optional. Struggling is optional. But they have to be committed to something bigger than their struggle or their suffering. And so, you know, for me and for everyone who loves the work that we do at the Ford Institute and, you know, all of Debbie's work, it's because that work, shadow work, changed their life. You know, for me, it wasn't about the affirmations or... You know, I tried to do the sweat lodges and the rebirth. It didn't, it didn't do anything. You know, it was nice. I felt better after for a few days, but it didn't transform the way I saw things. You know, find some work that's going to penetrate into the different cells of your body because, you know, it's, it's the way you view your life and you can't, and the circumstances and who you are. And that view can shift, but you need to commit to some sort of process. And so find the process and the work that resonates with you. If you want to find out more about the Ford Institute, Kelly, how can they do it? You can go on to the FordInstitute.com, find out everything about our coaches. You can find out about the shadow process, the shadow experience. We do programs. And most of, you know, a lot of our stuff is done. I know you're in Ireland. We do everything over the phone. We have a global classroom. Yes, our our workshops are in person, many of them. But we have people come in from all over the world. And our programs we do, we're starting one in um, January called Radical Reinvention. And that's one of the ones where you identify a goal. And then we look at all the different aspects that impact your manifesting of the goal. I'm now finishing up teaching one of my favorite courses. It's called Every Choice Matters, and it's really about looking at the choices we make, every choice, and it's really declaring every choice matters and what impacts us from living a life where every choice matters and what happens when you commit to living a life where every choice matters. And um, so we have great programs that anyone can jump into from anywhere around the world. Or, and our coaches, we all work, we're all coaches, we all work on the phone. Thanks so much for your time, Kelly. I really appreciate it and I really enjoy chatting with you. Thank you. And have a great yeah. weekend. Thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. Tune in next week for more exciting and interesting topics and guests in the areas of spirituality, relationships, finance, creativity, health, career, and much, much more. In the meantime, check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash the hellstone show or follow us on twitter on the letter d hellstone or log on to our website www.thehellstoneshow.com 
If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the Headstone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Well, until next week, have a fantastic, healthy and happy week. Thank you.